0: Father, we come before your throne uh, at this time, just taking this occasion and this opportunity to just once more collectively say thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you for health. Thank you for strength. Uh, We just come in gratitude, knowing full well that the many blessings that you have given unto us, uh, we didn't really deserve. But because of the love you had and have for each and every one of us, you continue to pour out your blessings more and more abundantly with every single passing day. God, we want to lift up uh, some of our members who are going through just a period of, of pain and agony, sorrow and grief. We want to lift up those of our members who are going through emotional, mental, and uh, spiritual distresses. And, and God, we just pray as, as much as is within us to do, that we could be a source of encouragement to them. But ultimately, we know that you are the great comforter. We know that you are the great physician. We know that you are the one that continues to provide and protect, to heal and make whole. And so, God, we we lift up these brethren before you and ask that you perform in them and in all of our lives the things that are needful for this time and for this moment. So bless us now as we listen to just but a small portion of your word. May, may your word never return unto you void. May it do in us what your word is designated to do. And, and so, Father, we just pray that you bless all of those who are here and those who are online at the preaching of your word, that it may bless us beyond measure. Guide us now as we continue on in our service, for this is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, we all say, amen, amen. amen. You may have your seats. Church, before, before I get into my text on this morning, I want you to go ahead and, and just identify in your calendars uh, another date, please. Uh, mark in your calendars uh, October 16th, October 16th, uh, between 3 and 6 p.m., Uh, We're going to have an upcoming uh, Greater Together event, all right, and just to give you a quick preview, I'll talk a little bit about this come next week, Uh, but we we are planning a Walk for Water event together on the 16th of October, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., so go ahead, feel free to to lock that in. Uh, More information is going to come on that, but that is going to be a joint event uh, working along with healing hands uh, to, to raise some, some funds and some money uh, to drill wells in various places on the continent uh, of Africa. So more on that to come, but go ahead and lock that date and time in. That's October 16th. One more time, October 16th, between 3 and 6 p.m., all right? So, like I said, more on that to come. As we continue on in our series on discipleship under the hashtag Learning to Lean on Jesus, I want to spend a little time this morning, and and, and God help me, I'm really hoping to, to not keep you too long this morning, but I really want to spend some time just looking at something, a very familiar text. Most of us are, are very well acquainted with the, the Beatitudes, that section of Jesus' dialogue in the book of Matthew, chapter number 5. Uh, and this morning, I want you to know I won't be going into each one of those blessed attitudes or those Beatitudes specifically, but I want to, I want to showcase this text maybe in a broader sense to help us Uh, get a better view maybe as we kind of step back from the text to see maybe what, what are some of the things that Matthew, indeed the inspired author, is attempting to do as he showcases some of these teachings of Jesus. So our text, as a matter of fact, finds itself as a larger body of teaching that we have on record that Jesus would have spoken in one sitting, at least that's what most people conclude. For someone with an average reading ability, it would probably take uh, that individual about 15 to 16 minutes just sitting down reading to completion Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount with all the necessary inflections, maybe assuming uh, that Jesus said these things word for word according to Matthew's record, with all the necessary inflections and pauses and such alike, it may have very well taken Jesus a minimum of twice the amount of time to speak this Uh, as it would for us to just read it. So, if it takes us about 15 minutes to read, it would have probably, with all the inflections and pauses and, and all of these different things, it probably would have taken Jesus about 30 minutes thereabout, 35, maybe even 40 minutes to have shared this dialogue with this multitude of people that was present. Uh, and that's not to give you a good time frame as to what a good sermon really is, 30 minutes, 35 minutes, 40 minutes. The The issue is not how long or how short Jesus would have spoken, but rather the real issue becomes the long and short of what he was teaching. Let me repeat that one more time. The issue is not how long or how short Jesus could have spoken. Jesus was a masterful teacher. So he could have made one sentence and it was so deep. He could have spoken for five minutes and left people chewing for for five hours. So Jesus was masterful at what he did. I'm not trying to say it's about how long or how short he spoke in terms of time. I more believe that the writer or writers are, are are really trying to point out the length and breadth, the long and short of his teaching. So it's not, how, it's not how long he would have taken, it's the point of what he is doing. It's not how short he would have spoken, it's, it's the depth of the teaching itself. So what I want us to do is to recognize as we, as we look at this particular text on this morning, not only are we to consider what Jesus is saying, According to to matthew's account, and it's important church, let me, let me just put this disclaimer here it's absolutely important for us to recognize the words of jesus if if, if you have one of those Bibles that uh, that, that that color code the, the words of Jesus and so uh, the author or the writer is going to put his own words in black uh, and then the, the words of Jesus are associated as red. it's good for us to recognize the value and the importance of those red letter words. So I'm not saying that the words of Jesus are not valuable. I'm I'm saying that they are indeed valuable. We need to consider the very words of Jesus. But what I am saying is we also need to consider not only what Matthew is recording Jesus as saying, but what Matthew is doing as he writes to his audience. So it's one thing for us to recognize the value of what Jesus is saying. It's a next thing for us to also recognize and appreciate what the authors and how the authors are using Jesus' dialogues and Jesus' speech within the confines of their purposes as they write to their several audiences. Let me see if I could explain that just a little bit further. I want us to keep in mind that when the Gospels, in fact, uh, were written. They were not specifically written in real time. And by real time, for example, right now we have a brother in the booth there by the name of Jose Nieto. And while I'm speaking in English, he is interpreting in real time... In, in Spanish. And, and so I want us to recognize that as we think about the gospel accounts, what we hold in our hands as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were not recorded real time. Jesus didn't have a scribe that was walking around, and every word that he said described was their penning, and everything that he described was what was translating. That's, that's not, not how it worked. As a matter of fact, I need for us to appreciate that these gospels as best As historians and as best as we know, these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these Gospels weren't written until decades after the church was established and the church began to grow. So Matthew and the other Gospel writers are not only giving evidence of what they have been preaching through the record of Jesus' life and ministry but also, they are helping in the understanding, check this, and the development of the church as each one takes an approach, based on their audience, to share and teach biblical truth. In other words, these gospel writers, they are laying the building blocks for the theology Or the teaching of the church with the foundation and cornerstone being Jesus Christ. So while, yes, the gospel accounts, this is all I'm trying to say in a nutshell, while, yes, the gospel accounts do highlight the life and ministry of Jesus, the gospel writers, based on their time and based on their age, based on their reality, they are using as a a foundation the teachings of Jesus uh, to further the teachings or the theology within the context of the church. So Jesus would have spoken on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. The the gospel accounts, the authors would use Jesus' dialogue on this issue to to, to speak on the theology of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Jesus will talk about salvation, and so they would use, the gospel writers would use Jesus' dialogue on salvation and sin and relationship with God to develop further a theology for the church that speaks on the issue or doctrine of salvation. So it's important for us to recognize not only what Jesus has said and is saying through his word, but it's also important for us to recognize what each author is doing. Are are you with me? That's going to be so important as we think about the whole idea of this context that we find ourselves in the book of Matthew chapter number five. Thus, we, we have the benefit of being able to witness the power of preaching through the practicality of their process. We could look back through Scripture and see the power of gospel preaching as we recognize the process that they would have had to go through and endure. To put it another way, the final product of the teaching comes by way of the process that we must all go through. We all want to get a heavenly crown, but that means going through the process of crucifixion. Paul would put it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who liveth in me. Before we get the crown, we must have to go through the process of a crucifixion, and while that may not necessarily be a physical crucifixion as Jesus would have had to endure on the cross, that's what baptism symbolizes. It's a, it's a death that we go through spiritually. We are connected to Christ's crucifixion on the cross when we, are, when we are immersed in the watery grave of baptism. Before we have the heavenly crown, we have to go through the process of of crucifixion. Stick with me on this. We, we all want to get to a palace like, like, like Joseph, but but before we get to the palace, we must, ne- we must have the need to endure pits and prison moments. Don't only want the palace without having to endure the pitfalls. Don't only dream about the palace when we also have to endure some prison moments as well. We all want to bask in the hope that Jesus offers, but we must first recognize the hopelessness of our life without Jesus. In other words, we can't truly appreciate the hope that we have in Jesus until we recognize our personal level of hopelessness. What point is this relationship if I don't recognize that I need Jesus? What point is life if if I don't recognize that Jesus is, is to me as air is to my lungs? So before we have the hope, we must recognize the hopelessness. Before we have the palace, we must endure some pits and some prisons. Before we gain the heavenly crown, we must recognize the process of crucifixion. So we are blessed, church, to have these writings that we can bear witness to their process in the midst of what we associate as powerful preaching. We would all conclude that Jesus' teaching is powerful, but Jesus' teaching invokes and encourages a process. We simply cannot have the final product without going through the proper Process. So as we think about that this morning, repeat after me if you don't mind, and we will be almost halfway through our message. Trust, trust, Trust. one more time, trust Trust. the process. process. Trust Trust. the process. I have this slide up here and It simply says the road isn't always easy, but the destination is worth it. In other words, we know what we are working towards, but while we are working towards heaven, sometimes it could feel like hell down here. But God says for us, we need to trust the process because before I give you your rest, there is some work and some labor to be done. Before you could be in my presence for an eternity, there there is a process that that we need to go through in order to to get there. Before we could become mature, before we could attribute ourselves as being ideal, there is a process that you and I have to go through. So trust the process. Trust the process. I just want to leave us with three things really quickly as we we look at Matthew chapter 5. I want to leave us with three things that we, as we think about this process, that we would find repeated over and over and over and over and over in Scripture if we're able to now look at Scripture through the eyes of these three things. Number one, I want us to see that there is always an initiation. Say initiation. Initiation. Beautiful. You're preaching. Number two, we, we must always recognize as well that there is an identity. Identity beautiful. You're, you're saying it with the Caribbean accent too. I love it. But number three, number three, not, not only is there an initiation, not only there, not only as well is there an identity, but number three, I want us to see that there is always the ideal. Say ideal. ideal. And I want to work this in reverse now as we kind of bring this hurriedly to a close. In order to have The ideal, the ideal is the model, the ideal is the maturation of the thing, the the ideal is the perfection of the thing. I want us, as we think through the scripture of Matthew chapter number 5, I want you to see all three found and contained within this gospel account of Matthew as we look at this dialogue of Jesus. Come back with me as we work in reverse fashion. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 48 with me. And I promise you, if you stay with me, and if you, if you don't fall asleep, we'll get done in probably about 8 to 10 minutes. If you don't fall asleep. <laughs> Come with me into my... <laughs> I saw somebody say five minutes. I could do it in five if you stay up. Stay up. Stay up. Let me know you're staying up. Give me a little amen here and there, and we'll be done in five minutes. All right? In Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 48, I want to show you really quickly the ideal. As you think about trusting the process, I want us to appreciate that when Jesus makes this this statement in chapter 5 and verse number 48, this, this is the ideal for us. This is what we are working towards every single minute of every single day. And I'll talk about this really quickly in a moment. Notice in verse number 48, it says, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father which is in heaven in, is perfect. A different translation would say, be ye perfect. As your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now there is a difference there between what is associated as being human perfection and divine, divinely attributed perfection. When you and I talk about perfection from a human standpoint, we, we talk about never faltering. We talk about doing things a particular way. Being perfect from a human standpoint is not achievable. Because you and I, we, 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 we falter, we sin, we, we make mistakes. You and I, if we are honest with ourselves, could I, could I see the hands of any perfect human, human being here? I, I, I'm not talking about when you're dating somebody and uh, and you and you're saying to her, you know, you're the perfect specimen. That's something different. You're right, she's perfect. I, I, I'm not saying when you're when, when you're describing your spouse, oh, he's the perfect specimen of what a man is supposed to be. You are right, he is. I, I am. I'm, I'm the perfect. <laughs> I'm the perfect specimen of a of a man. But what I, what I am really referring to in a more serious sense is really and truly from a characteristical standpoint, you and I will be honest as we recognize that no human being but Jesus can be and will ever be perfect. So we aren't perfect. The best that human beings can be is imperfect at best. But here is what? In Christ, we are perfect so we aren't perfect because of our own strength in christ we are made perfect because of his goodness because of his grace because of his sacrifice we aren't righteous by ourselves we are made righteous because of the blood of jesus christ we aren't holy as if we are god but we are made holy because god is holy God will take dirt and turn it into holy ground. And if God could take dirt and turn it into into holy ground, He could take you and me and make us into a holy establishment as well. So I want us to appreciate that when I talk about the ideal, I need for us to see here that the attributing of perfect to the human being or to the Christian comes as a result of having a relationship and a connection to God. So spiritually, I am complete. Spiritually, I am made whole because of Jesus. But from a physical standpoint, I can't do it without God. So my ability to be perfect only stands on my ability to stay connected to God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Stay with me with this. I have three more minutes. So notice the ideal is to be perfect as our heavenly Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. But in order to become perfect, truly, as we reflect the nature and character of God, we have to go through a process of recognizing what it takes to become holy. What it takes to be righteous, what it takes to become perfect. If you would, just look at this really quickly with me because within the confines of the context, we could take up the entirety of chapter number 5 to recognize what it takes for us to ultimately become perfect eventually. But he wraps up his thoughts around verse number 43 to help us see the culmination of what it really means to at least typify or exemplify having a character and heart like God. So in verse number 43, he says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who would hate you, and pray for those who would despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and he sends the rain church on the just and the unjust for if you love those who love you what reward have you do do not even the tax collectors do not even the people who you hate and despise do they not also just love people who love them Jesus and if you greet your brethren only What do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors? do Let me me put this in in, in words that maybe is is closer to us. If you are only good with the people who are good to you, what real profit is it to show that you are reflecting the character and heart of Almighty God? If you only pray for the people that you know bless you, then how? is it that you would say that you reflect the heart and the character of God as a child of God, as a son and daughter of the king, what Jesus is trying to help them to recognize is we need to be working towards the ideal and the ideal is to be as perfect as the heavenly father is perfect. But that comes through the process of a change of heart. So he says, learn to love. Love in a way that you could love not just only those who love you, but love those Who would even hate you. Love those who would stab you in the back. So he says love. But let me do this really quick in the reverse. So the ideal is to have this model of this godly character. But I said it takes a process. Jesus in verse number 13 through number 16. He shows them who they are. He says this is who you are. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You may not feel that way. You may not look that way, but, but this is what you were formed and fashioned to be. Anybody here ever felt sin deformed before? To where it's like, I don't e- I'm not even worthy to utter a prayer to God i'm not even worthy to to have the name god or son of god on on my name tag i'm not worthy he says listen sin deforms us but god's love transforms us so don't follow the lies of the devil that says you are nothing recognize in the eyes of god we are everything Don't see yourself as having nothing, even though you might have little money in in your bank account. Don't see yourself as having nothing, but see yourself attached to a God who owns everything. So he says, I want you to model the ideal, but before you model and get to the point of recognizing the ideal, you have to see who you are. It's your identity. I am a son and daughter of the king, but I also have a responsibility to this world. I am the light of this world. So that means I need, to, I need to walk as someone who is a light bringer and a light bearer. Yes. I am the salt of the earth, so I need to stop living the way that I'm living so that I could perform my duty and I could live in my real purpose, which is preserving life and, and bringing people closer into contact with, with Jesus Christ. So Jesus didn't have to say the word sin here, but he's trying to help them to recognize that you are something in the sight of God and you are needed in a lost and dying world. Anybody here ever felt like they didn't have a purpose? Anybody here ever felt like they were nothing? Anybody here ever felt like they didn't know what they were here to do? Listen, you have a purpose and your purpose is to be light and salt to this lost and dying world. But then in good old fashion, as we work in reverse number one, he says there is an initiation to this process. This word initiation is a unique one. We find this initiation really in the context of verses number uh, two all the way down to about verse number 12. So we have the ideal, be ye perfect as your father which is in heaven is perfect. He says, apart from that, I need for you to recognize who you are. You are salt, you are light, you are mine, is what Jesus is saying. But before we get to that point, we sometimes have to go through an initiation process. I'm not saying that this is what Jesus is doing, but I want to show you how we sometimes go through the initiation process from our perspective. I have not been blessed by choice to join one of these clubs on campus at Harding University. And I think Harding is pretty blessed because you know hazing is not supposed to happen, but I think it does, but maybe not to a detrimental extent, but you know, they, they, you, you go through this process when you're about to, to engage and join in that particular club or group where you go through the initiation process. The initiation process is meant, is, 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 is meant to do, do two things. It's meant for you to recognize the severity of what you're about to engage in, that's number one. But it's also meant for us to recognize, or at least those individuals to recognize the character of the person that's coming in. If you go through the initiation process and there are requirements that they are looking at in the initiation process, and you, you don't meet those requirements, chances are you, you you don't get into this club. So there is an initiation process, and the initiation process oftentimes is a bit difficult, reflective of the standard of living that you are going to be called to live when you get in to this organization or group. So Jesus, as he begins the initiation process, he is speaking to them. They aren't experiencing anything yet, but, but remember, if this is about taking a broad view. Didn't Jesus experience some stuff in the garden? So the initiation process actually starts with Jesus in chapter 4 in the garden. But then as Jesus goes through his process, he comes down, he begins his teaching, and he's teaching to the multitude, and he starts off with these blessed attributes or these blessed attitudes. And it's a rude awakening for some of these individuals because these are not the characteristics of of somebody who wants to be a part of a dominant race, Uh, for somebody who who thinks that their king or their savior is going to come and take them away from underneath the hand or the thumb of these Roman rules and have a king over them once more to be a great nation. He starts talking about, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's that's, that's humility talk. He starts talking about they that mourn. That's not victory talk. What do you mean mourn when we're supposed to be shouting? He, He talks about, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, how can the meek? Inherit the earth, I thought only the strong survive. He, he, he tells them, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all oh, manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. What are you saying, Jesus? These aren't attributes of a victorious king coming to take us into a new era of nation living. But Jesus wants them to know your identity is wrapped up in your ability to be humble. Don't miss that. Your identity to be salt, your identity to be light, on in process of you becoming this perfect representation of God's love, grace, mercy, and truth. It's all wrapped up in our ability to keep, stay humble. we are no better than anybody else. But even though we are downtrodden, we are still blessed because we are in Christ. (laughs) I'm no better than somebody who is outside of Christ. But because I'm in Christ, I could walk a little bit with some pride. Not a detrimental pride that looks down on individuals, but a pride that says, I am something because of the God that I serve. I may not always get A's, but I am still something in the sight of the God that I serve. I may not have what others have, and I, sometimes I want what others have. I, I, I want things for myself, but, but that doesn't mean I'm any less of a person than somebody else because I'm something because of the great God that I'm served. So he says, don't, don't be prideful, but still take some pride in the relationship that you have. Does that make sense? So don't turn your nose up because you're a Christian, but because you're a Christian, you could stand tall. Don't look down at anybody else because you're no better off than anybody else, because we all have sin and sinned and fall short. But guess what? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we know we have a hope that's beyond this physical life. And that was my five minutes. Thomas, would you mind coming up, bro? So I want us to see as we as we think about what it means to learning to lean on Jesus. Jesus starts off in this dialogue by saying, Listener. I need for you to understand the initiation point. The initiation point is for you to recognize the type of heart you are supposed to have. The minute you and I think that we have it all together, we have now started to step